Uh, we are in a series that I'm really excited about. Um, it's called How to Defend Your Faith and Stay Friends. And uh, I need to tell the story again, especially during this sermon, because it kind of lays the foundation. Um, when I was growing up, I didn't really go to church at all. When I was 17 years old, uh, a young uh, woman, Patty, um, a girl at that point, um, Patty, had come back to the apartment complex where I lived and started talking about church. And none of us went to church. None of us really talked about church. And she started going to church. And she, she looked really happy about it. And so um, I thought that kind of strange. And so I thought, man, I'm going to have to check this place out to see what's going on in this church she's going to. So I, my friend Don and I decided to go to this church youth group meeting to see what's going on with our friend Patty. So she invited us. We went there. We went to a house for the first church meeting. And my philosophy of life before I was a Christian, based upon my experiences from birth through 17 pretty much, was I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. All right, Except for the people in my little world, in the apartment complex, and my family who I love to death. Um, but other than that, I didn't really trust people very much. So when I walked into this house, there was you walk in the door and there was a staircase that went up right here. So what I did was I made my way to the top of the staircase so I could get in front of or behind and basically have everyone else in front of me. So I sat up there, place filled up with maybe 30, 40, 50 people. And these guys, these kids were singing about Jesus and they were, they were being pretty nice and everything. And I'd never really been in an environment like that where I walked into a new environment with some friends and didn't get into some kind of confrontation with them. And so I was liking it and uh, sitting at the top of the stairs, the youth pastor gets up after they're done singing and he starts talking and all of a sudden he breaks out Play-Doh. Now, I was, a, I was 17 years old, uh, grew up in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom in New York, hung out with all the wrong people, if you will, and we did not play with Play-Doh, okay? So I was thinking, how do I get out of here? Because if I go back to the apartment complex and anyone ever squeals that I was playing with Play-Doh, I'm going to get beat up when I get back with my friends. So I said to Don, we ought to get out of here, but I put myself at the top of the stairs, I blocked myself in, and it was more embarrassing to have to say, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me. And I just, so I just sat there with Don, and I said, hey, I'll make you something. What he said was, a youth pastor said, make something for someone that reminds you of an experience you had with that person. So I made him a ball and bat, he made me a football, and you know, we just kind of stuck in our pockets and thought, let's just sit here until we get our chance, and then we're out of here. And as we're sitting there, and they were breaking up, I was about to make my way down the stairs, uh, Emily and Patty came up, but Emily came up, this, this, this young lady, Emily, and she gave us 40 smile faces. Remember those smile faces in the 70s and the 80s, really late 60s probably. Um, but she gave us all these smile faces on a piece of cardboard and said, we're all glad you're here. And it's for some reason, I guess because in the environments I went into, there's so much confrontation. And here were these people being kind. And then for for people to sit down and come up with 40 smile faces, I mean, it took a long time to put the little Play-Doh things, put little eyes on them, little smile faces, and gave it to us, and was just so kind. And I, it, it, it did something in my heart. It was like God just kind of reached down and, and, and started changing me a little bit. And that event is what got me to come back to church the second time. I was not coming back, but it got me to come back to church the second time. And then 30 years later... 
I'm sitting at my computer and I get this, uh, this Facebook request from Emily. And I, I thought, could this be the same person? And I got the friend request and it was. And so we started this Facebook conversation. Emily, over the years, she told me in our conversations that she uh, was only going to youth group for the social aspect of it. And over the years, she had just faded away. And she said, I'm not, she didn't say she's an atheist, but she does not believe in God. She does not believe in in religion or anything like that. She raises her kid with no religion, her kids with no religion whatsoever. So in one of my conversations with Emily, I told her how I, I got this beautiful, we were able as a church to purchase this incredible piece of land in Nigeria. I told her this story to kind of help her understand why I have this faith that I have in God and how God was constantly moving in my life, throughout my life, to build my faith. I was trying to remind her of maybe where she came from. So we were in Nigeria, um, started going in 2002. And, uh, and we, we were able to get a piece of land from the people of the Kisiup village and the government there gave us about 60 or 70 acres of land. So there's a nice piece of land here on the, and some of you have been there and then there's, I'm not going to say a mountain, but it's a large hill, but it's made of these beautiful rock formations. And over the other side of the hill was this, this circle with an entrance, maybe, maybe 20 feet wide to get in there, but it was like a, a mini stadium. Surrounded by stones, it was, it, it was breathtaking. But it was owned by a colonel in the army there who had retired. And in order for him to get to his piece of property, he had to cross our piece of property. He was kind of a sketchy guy, and I really didn't want him around when we were bringing people in. So um, I offered to buy the property from him. The, the chief of the tribe went to him and said they're interested in buying this. He said he's open to selling. He wants to move further out. It's getting too busy around here. So we, made, we came up with a, um, a deal in Naira, which is the, the Nigerian currency, is in Naira. So we made this deal in Naira. Now, I was going to leave in about three days, and I had to close this deal. And if you've ever been to Nigeria, you can't close a deal on buying a chicken in three days sometimes. And and so I was, we, we, I was praying about it, and I really wanted to close this deal. So we came up with a price, but it, was, it ended up being about $28,000 more than I, than I could come up with. I was calling back here, and people were talking to people in the congregation, and we came up with some money, but we were $28,000 short. So what I did was I prayed. I said, God, if you want us to have this land, just pray that you can do something miraculous. The dollar to Naira exchange rate went from 117 to 173 in one day, which gave me about 40 or 50% more money because I made the deal in Naira. So the dollar amount closed the gap. Then some junior high students got together and they raised some money. And then someone else within the body, within the body of Christ said, hey, I want to cover whatever is left. And so within days, we were able to buy this beautiful piece of property that is now used for so many things that we talk about here at the church. Just from that time I spent with God in prayer, in a couple of days, closed the deal, signed the paperwork. That, my friends, if you've never been in a country where it takes a long time to get things done, that alone was miraculous. So I told Emily this story, and this was her response. That's awesome news about the home in Nigeria. Congratulations. Regarding how the funds came about, I think you and I will have to agree to disagree. 
Your worldview tells you it's divine intervention. Mine says we should not confuse coincidence for fate. Good things happen all the time, as do bad. We subscribe meaning to them as we see fit. So here's the question we want to answer this morning, because in this series, we're going through and answering questions that you have or your friends have. That's why I want to keep encouraging you to invite people to this series, okay? Invite them because they have questions, and I want to be able to answer those questions. So here's the, here's the question we have for this morning. Is everything in our life that happens in our lives, is it pure luck or does God, is God involved in helping direct our everyday lives? If God, is God involved in our lives and those types of stories? Was that just pure luck or did God intervene in my prayers and make a difference in the lives of not only the people of this church, but the people there in Nigeria? So... Before I move forward, let me just say that no matter what stories I tell, okay, or how compelling they might be, I realize it all comes down to faith, okay? This is a faith issue. But here's the thing. All of life comes down to faith. You think, of, well, I don't believe in God. I don't have any faith. Well, you really do. As a matter of fact, you probably have more faith than many believers, many Christians do. And here's why. If you take God out of the equation, then you have to say nothing created everything. First, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, nothing got together with itself and decided, hey, let's create everything. That, my friends, takes more faith to believe, I believe, than believing in the first cause being God. So it all comes down to faith. We weren't there when all of this started. So it's a faith issue. You either believe nothing created everything or that God created everything. But let's keep in mind our definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we have not seen. Sure, listen to those words, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we have not seen. That is the definition, the biblical definition of faith. With that in mind, let me share another story with you that helps shape my faith. So I told you how I came to know Christ, going to that youth group meeting, gave my life to Christ a few months later. So I was 18 years old at this point. The story takes place and I'm driving home and I got to I got to explain to you what my headaches were like when I was younger. From 13 to about 18 years old, I got what was called cluster headaches every single summer. Okay, every summer of my life, I got cluster headaches. Um, they cluster headaches come at the same time, same month, pretty much every year. And then that you could actually, I could watch the clock and at 10 o'clock here would come and it would get so severe that I would just end up screaming into my pillow or trying to find a dark place and just try to relax. But it was, it was impossible. I remember at a certain point, about 14 or 15 years old, my mother took me to the doctor and I, they, he gave me some medicine that somewhat subdued the headaches and made it bearable. If I got into a quiet, dark place and tried to go to sleep, it became bearable. Well, that happened all through my teenage years. When I was 18 years old, I remember driving home from a job and they got so severe, medicine or no, as I was driving home, my eyes started to swell shut. I couldn't see. I was throwing up in the car, trying to drive. I had all I could do was to open my eye with one hand, okay, and drive with the other. 
I finally was able to get home, and, and it was just the worst summer. So the next summer, now I'm 19 years old. I've been a believer for maybe a year, a little over a year. And that summer I decided, early in the spring, in April, May, I decided I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm going to believe by faith that God can heal me of these headaches and that I won't get them anymore. So I didn't go to the doctor. I figure if I went, I'm hedging my bets. I didn't want to hedge my bets. I said, God, if you choose to heal me, I know you can. If you don't, I still love you. But if you would heal me, I'd really appreciate it because these things are awful. People literally jump out of windows when they get cluster headaches. If you've had a migraine, it's like a migraine on steroids. So you know, you know what I'm saying. And so I, I prayed this prayer, didn't get my medicine, and June came around, and June came and went. And July came around, and July came and went, and August came around, and August came and went. And I, had, I have never gotten a headache since that time. As a matter of fact, it was funny because I, one, one day I'm sitting at home, and I'm saying, Deb, something's wrong. And, and uh, my, my eye, my, my left eye just went kind of blind and it had all these lights in it. And I'm thinking, something must be off here because I can't see out of my left eye. So I went to the doctor and the doctor said, yes, you had a migraine without the pain. So I've had, I, went, I did that twice. I've had migraines without pain. So the prayer just kind of shifted and followed me all these years, okay? I even get migraines and I don't have any pain. That's how much this prayer has impacted my life. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get a headache again. If I do, it's not going to rock my faith. All I'm saying is I prayed and God intervened in that situation and healed me. And I've never had a migraine or a cluster headache again. It was profound. So here's the thing. As we go through this series and we kind of talk through this, um, I want you to understand something that I have learned. Over the years, God has shown me that um, when you're young in your faith, when you're very young in your faith, God often intervenes in miraculous ways. Now, he's intervened in miraculous ways when I'm in my 50s too. But when you're younger in your faith, he intervenes sometimes in miraculous ways. It's almost like you ask him, God, can you give me a cup of water? And he comes back and, and, and gives you a cup of water. Someone on the way out said, you know, in my life, it's like I asked for a cup of water and he gave me an ice cream soda. I mean, he went beyond what I was asking for. But that happens early in our faith. And the the reason I think that happens early in our faith sometimes is because as we grow older and more mature and we ask God to help us in certain areas, sometimes he doesn't just come and rescue us or immediately intervene. He allows us to go through certain things to help us to grow. And it's during those times that we need to look back on our faith and realize all the times that God has intervened and remember that he is faithful. And he does answer prayer. He just doesn't say yes every single time when you want him to because God knows us and he knows what is best for us. So in my conversation with Emily, um, as I was writing to her, I wrote this. Emily, I've seen God move in powerful ways in our ministry through the years, intervening with people and resources countless times. Things have happened that make it very difficult for me to believe that it's just all coincidence. I believe your successes and life experiences reflect the idea of one of my favorite authors, Johann van Gogh, who wrote, Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. 
a whole stream of events issues from the decision rising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamed would have come his way whatever you can do or dream you can begin it boldness has genius power and magic in it begin it now Emily, if you don't believe in God, I can understand the need to call things that happen in our lives coincidence or give total credit to man for the outcome, which I'm not sure was Van Gogh's intention. I see God as real and active and see events in life as part of God's ultimate plan. Let me share another story. I'll call an unexpected blessing. When I was living in Marblehead, I took the job as a youth pastor. In a small church. They didn't have many kids, and so they told me to reach out to the community and build a group over time. (laughs) To make a long story short, or semi-short, I asked the students in the community what they wanted most. I always saw them skating home from school. So I had an idea that they would want, and, and, and I was right. What they all said is a skateboard park. I had no idea of build a skateboard park. But I felt in my heart God was calling me to step out and do it. I went to the town to see if they would give me some space in one of the parks. And to my surprise, they did. It was a broken down basketball court in the worst part of the park. But it was ours. I rallied the troops. And for a few weeks, we were cleaning up glass and pulling six-foot weeds. Then we got everything cleaned up. And I started talking with people in the community about helping to build the ramps for the park. One student's brother was from California and designed skateboard parks. He happened to be in town, so we met, and I asked him to design something for us. But keep in mind, we had no money. I talked with a contractor about a donation a few days before, and he told me he'd be willing to help, but he needed plans. Well, two days later, those worlds collided. The skateboard park designer showed up with plans, and when I opened them up, I almost laughed out loud. He designed a horseshoe, six feet tall, 60 feet long, and 40 feet wide. Please recall, I had no money. I was about to explain that to him when the contractor showed up and he saw the plans. Thanking me, he took them and drove off before I could explain. I had no money. I wasn't worried because once I once he saw them, he'd call me and say it was way too much for him to take on. And then the next day I went to the park and to my horror, he had a dump truck and a backhoe unloading tons of dirt and rock. He also had another piece of equipment shaping that pile into a horseshoe. I, I refer to you again the fact that I had no money. And now I would soon be the laughing stock of the town, probably lose my job. And how was I going to get enough gravel and blacktop to cover this giant horseshoe ramp? Oh, my only hope was to talk to Lynn Sand and Stone, the largest stone and paving company on the North Shore. The problem was I didn't know anyone who worked there. As I walked home, I began to ask, whose idea was this anyway? All I wanted was a little ramp for the kids to skate on. I said, God, you're the one who wanted me to do this in the first place. Now, what am I going to do? Before I went into the house to tell Deb to start packing, I went to the mailbox. I opened the door, and there was a letter from Lynn Sand and Stone. It was the right address with the wrong zip code. I opened the letter, and it said, Dear John, thank you for your business. I hope you enjoy these box seats to the Red Sox game. (laughs) 
Well, the next day I took the tickets to the company and explained what happened. I returned the tickets without asking for the gravel and blacktop. <laughs> the woman took my name, thanked me, and I left. Well, the next day I went back and talked to a different person about my situation. He was nearly ignoring me until his secretary, the, the woman I talked to the day before, told, me, told him I, I was the person who returned the tickets. He was the guy who sent them out and was going to be up a creek if I did not return them back. Oh, it was a big client, and it would have been a big problem not to thank them. His attitude toward me changed immediately. What can I do for you? What, what were you saying about blacktop and gravel? Well, I explained, and he sent me to another building downtown. Well, I walked into the largest office I had ever seen. It was the company president. He asked me how much I needed, and I said something brilliant like, a whole bunch. <laughs> He told me to go back to the office and he'd see what he could do. Well, I got back and they told me that he said, give him whatever he needs. And the next day I had enough gravel and blacktop to cover the entire horseshoe. The contractor did all of his work for free, as did everyone else. It was like God said, sit down before you hurt yourself. Let me show you how to build a skate park. God knew I needed that event to show me. He can do immeasurably more than... All I could have ever asked or imagined, and I never forgot it. Emily, if you think that's coincidence, you have more faith in coincidence than most people have in God. And I'm the luckiest man on the face of the planet. God knew I needed that event at that time in my spiritual journey, just like he knew I needed you to give me those smiley faces. You said you're not an atheist. Well, my question is, why couldn't those events be the work of God? Why is the only option coincidence? That's a great story. Very, very cool. And yes, you guessed it. I call it luck and the generosity of some really nice people, including you. Are you the luckiest person on the planet? Probably not. Are you the most persistent? Maybe. If you mean to share the story as a sort of anecdotal proof of God, sorry, fish ain't biting. If you told me that as sure as the sun rises, every time someone was in need, the same such string of events would ensue, then I'd consider it. Tough crowd, but we are talking God here. Obviously, millions, billions of desperate prayers for skate parks, rocks, life, and yes, even Red Sox tickets go unanswered every day. I know, I know, it's God's plan, right? He chooses what's best to answer based on his plan, but why such a convoluted series of events and people? Why not just make a park available? God sure is a micromanager. There is proof and there is faith. Emily, if you can believe that everything can be created from nothing, why is it so impossible for you to believe that God intervenes in our lives? Just the fact that we exist at all is mathematically impossible, yet here we are. So why is it so hard to believe in divine intervention? You say nice people do nice things all the time, but the story wasn't about the people involved. It was about the circumstances. The moment I needed the gravel and blacktop, the tickets were in the mailbox. I didn't go up and ask the nice people, it, and it all worked out. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even praying for it. I was complaining about it. It was a series of events that happened in sequence. I didn't persuade them. I was along for the ride. To understand God's plan, you need to understand God. Why didn't God just make a park available? Well, he did. In an amazing way, and in the process, I grew, 
And so did many others who were watching this all transpire, both Christians and not. Because of that event, my trust, faith, and confidence in God grew. Belief is not easy. There are times when I call out to God and He doesn't come to my rescue or give me what I think I need. It's in those times that I draw on my faith and confidence. Why don't you give your kids all they want when they want it? Why do you discipline them? Do you intervene in their lives for their benefit? Do you ever let them fail and not intervene? Do you ever make plans and hope they will follow for their benefit because you know best? Is it so impossible to believe that a God with an infinite mind has a plan that you with your finite mind cannot comprehend? I have faith, yes, but my faith is based on evidence and experience. I don't make everything fit into a nice, neat box. I ask more questions than most people ever consider. The difference is I keep asking. I keep searching. I keep studying until I get an answer. Or like everyone on the planet, I realize that some things are beyond my comprehension. Deuteronomy 29.29 says the secret things are hidden with the Lord our God. But the things revealed to us belong to us and our children. I will never have all the answers, but I will have enough to be confident in God. You're right. I can't empirically prove that God exists. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who don't see me yet still believe. I believe because I've looked at the evidence and come to the logical, rational, reasonable conclusion that God exists. I took no blind leap of faith. I stepped out in faith based on the evidence. I, I've come to realize that most people who struggle with belief in God do so not because they've studied the evidence and found it wanting, but because if God does exist, they have a responsibility to that God. So let me uh, share a few other thoughts. Would it be realistic for God to say yes to um, everything people ask for? We pray, you all, we all pray. Would it be realistic for God to say yes? Have you ever prayed for something and then a month or a year down the road you said to yourself, thank God that you didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted you to. That would not have worked out well at all. Think about that movie. How many people have seen that movie, Bruce Almighty? Remember that movie, Bruce Almighty? Bruce, Bruce is this guy in a movie, and he doesn't get, you know, he wants to get the promotion, doesn't get the promotion, so he starts kind of yelling at God for stiffing him in his life and all this kind of stuff. And so God, played by another actor, comes down and says, you think you can do it better? Here you go. And gives him his power for a certain period of time. So he's running around doing all kinds of things. But in the movie, there comes a time where people start to pray. And so now Bruce has to answer all their prayers. And so all of a sudden he gets all these prayers coming. He says, I should organize them all in, in, in files. And there's files everywhere. He can't keep up with that. He says, ah, oh, post-it notes. And he says, post-it notes. And they just cover him with the whole, his whole apartment is covered in post-it notes. That's not going to work. So he finally works on it, gets a computer out. And he gets everyone's prayers lined up on a computer. And he starts reading them and trying to answer them. He's like, ah, oh, I know. I'll just make everyone happy and push yes to everything. So whatever anybody asks, I say yes. Well, by the time he answers and says yes to all of those, there's another three and a half million that come in. And he just says yes to all of them, which leads to absolute bedlam. Right. 
You think that would be just answering yes would work? It doesn't work out. People, everyone wins the lottery and then no one gets anything. Everyone's upset. So see, God intervenes in our lives because he loves us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And there are biblical principles to help us understand why God sometimes says no to our prayers or answers them the way that we wish he wouldn't, if you will. In James 4, 3, it says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. God says, I'm not going to answer that prayer. You know why? I love you too much and I know it's going to harm you. So I'm not going to say yes to something that I know because I have an infinite mind is going to harm you. So God says no sometimes to our prayers. We need to trust that God knows better than we do. That he knows what's best for us. How many of you have children, right? Many of you have children. Um, What do you say to your child when your child says, can I go play in the street? No. Can I eat candy for dinner and lunch and breakfast every day? No. Right. Can I, and when they get older, I'm going to go hang out with Snake and, uh, and Skull uh, down at the, you know, at the, down the pit down there where no lights are. You know, can I go hang out there? You have your 17 year, 16 year, 15 year old daughter. She wants to go and hang, hang out with Skull and Snake. We're probably very nice guys, right? But what do you say? No. Do I know their parents? No, you've never met them. I don't think they have parents. They live on their own in, in some woods somewhere. You say no, because you're old enough to realize that anyone probably named Skull and Snake are probably not the best for your 15-year-old daughter. No offense to anyone who's named Skull or Snake out there, all right? We say no because we love our children because we know more than they know. Eating candy and chocolate for dinner and for lunch and for breakfast every day is not going to be healthy for you. So we say no to those things. God knows. God knows us. In Isaiah 55, 8, 9, it says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is what I said to Emily. Emily, you need to have an eternal perspective if you truly want to understand God's will and purpose for our lives. We will never have all the answers to many of life's most challenging questions. But in the end, I would rather trust that one day when I leave this life, those answers will be revealed than to live in the emptiness of a world void of grace, purpose, meaning, and justice. We all have to make a decision here. But you have to understand the implications of your decisions. If you say there's no God, if you choose to say there is no God, there are consequences for that. And we need to all understand that. Let me close. This is because this kind of this helps you understand sometimes how we just close God out of our lives and just refuse to see him sometimes. Let me close with something that happened to Emily while she was in Florida. She wrote this. Hey, Jeff, just got home a couple hours ago from Florida. We had to get up at 3.30 a.m. to catch our flight. You're so good to write during my time away. We had a great, great time, and I thought of you quite often. Here's why. First day at Epcot, airplane rider up in the bright blue sky. Was it a marriage proposal, an advertisement? No, it read, God plus you equals smiley face. That skywriting story is amazing. Did you hear the Twilight Zone music playing in your head when you saw that? (laughs) 
No twilight music, but it did cross my mind that in your spare time you had taken up flying and made a beeline down to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking the pilot would have been doing that with or without my witness. He's probably doing it right now. See, here's... So, now that you understand the the story and how the story started, okay, um, with those smile faces, and we would sign off with each other... um, we wrote, I wrote a book that actually based on these conversations out at Wise Words if you'd like to get the book. But in our conversations, we're, we say constantly, still smiling, still smiling, still smiling. So she goes down to Florida, okay, and she's standing there. I've never seen this before. Uh, maybe you have. But she goes down to Florida based upon everything we've talked about over all these years. And when she looks up, that's what she sees. And her response is, he probably, the pilot would have been doing that with or without my witness. He's probably doing it right now. Reminds me of that, I can't remember the whole joke about the person who falls off the cliff and hanging on and says, you know, God, help me, help me, help me. And he sends a helicopter and I'm waiting for God. And finally, God, he falls off the cliff and God says, well, I send a helicopter. I send a ship. I send, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? In the end... It's our choice, each of us, every single person here, it's our choice what to believe. But again, each of us needs to consider the implication of our choices. Guys, here's the thing. If it's all pure luck, if it's all coincidence and pure luck, there is no purpose in any of your experiences. All the negative experiences that you've had in your life, there's no purpose behind them whatsoever. As a matter of fact, there's no purpose for your life whatsoever. Take God out of the equation. And there is no purpose in this life. There's no meaning to any of it. With God, there is purpose. Even through the most difficult things we ever face in our lives, God can take the best of, worst of circumstances and make something good from it. God brings beauty out of the ashes of our lives sometimes. That's what God is capable of doing for us. If it's all pure luck, there is no hope. People say, oh, there's hope. I have hope. If there is no God, there is no hope. If it's all pure luck, we're all in this together alone. If it is all pure luck, this whole thing that we're experiencing on this planet Earth is a cruel joke. It's a cruel joke. Think about what you've been through, just you in your life, all the years of you lived. Think about all the things you've been through for no reason. They just happen to happen to you. And there's no good that's going to come out of it. It's just what happened. It's a cruel joke. If this all happened by just luck, hear hear me out on this one. I want you to think this through. There is no future justice. If this, all, if this is all just pure luck and coincidence, all right, this whole world, there is no God, then there is no future justice. So everything that has ever happened to you or anyone you know, all the horrible things that have ever happened in your life, there's no justice at the end. Even if someone got away with something here, I believe that God will judge them. There is judgment. There is justice. No one gets away with things that are unjust. God will respond. If there's no God, 
then Mao Zedong basically killed 40 million or more people, okay, killed them, 40 million people, lived his life high on the hog as he was in charge of everything, and then just died after killing all those people and living a happy life on his own. He just died. There is no future justice. The only justice is maybe what human beings can inflict on each other or you know, bring on each other while we're here. But how much goes untouched? There is no future justice. This is all just pure luck. The idea that everything happened by pure luck is horrifying to a world of people who are conscious of what's going on around them. I'm not saying that all of life is miserable all the time. All I'm saying is that as believers in Jesus Christ, there are ups in life and there are downs. But even the downs, we can say God can bring beauty out of the ashes. God, the Bible says that God can work out all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. God can, can, can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. The Bible tells us that. He can bring about good things from bad things. But if there is no God, we're stuck with the fact that we live in this world. All these things go on and there's, there's no purpose to it. I'm sorry. That, that's, and it's, that's not my thought and my opinion. That's the opinion of atheists. To believe that we evolved and then are just left to suffer to me, makes our existence an inescapable nightmare. Without God, I want you to think about this, without God, the atheist, Bertram Russell, his summation of life was right. This is what he wrote. This is what an atheist wrote. Okay, One of the most famous atheists of all time. This is what he wrote. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation be safely built. In other words, anything that you, you conjure up in your mind to make this life meaningful or purposeful or whatever else is just a delusion of your mind. You're deluding yourself because you cannot live in the world okay, that you've created for yourself without God. So you delude yourself and say, oh, no, there is meaning, there is meaning, uh, there is no God. So every moment is just precious. And so I grasp and hold on to every moment because it's so important. And so they, do, they, do ants say that? Do worms say that? Those little amoebas that float around, do they say that? It's madness to say your life has purpose without God. What purpose is it? Just what you choose to give yourself. And Bertrand Bertrand Russell said it. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. When you think your world through, through completely, this is what you come to. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation safely be built. Here's another quote. Brief, this is what he said. Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark. If there is no God, Nietzsche is correct. There's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's nothing to this world. You were born, you, you somehow evolved from a primordial soup, then somehow in the history of this world you were born... You grow. All these things happen to you for no reason whatsoever. You ingest food for whatever to keep alive. You reproduce and then you go and you die. And that's the end of it. 
And anything else you add to that is just a delusion of your own mind so you can live in the world that somehow you evolve to realize that you're, you're conscious of your own surroundings and the future and what's happening to you now. And you can remember your past and all of those things have no meaning whatsoever. That, my friends, is an inescapable nightmare. The good thing is there is a God. I know. I don't think he exists. I know he exists. I know that he exists. And I may not have all the answers. I may not have all the complete answers for why things happen. But I am confident, okay? I am confident, no matter what happens to me in my life, that my God will never leave me or forsake me. Let me just back up for just a moment. Think about this. When I was growing up, I had such a disdain and such a mistrust of people that my first meeting at a youth group, at a church, the first meeting, I put myself in a place where I could not escape. God used even those experiences. He didn't didn't make me go through all those things. It, It wasn't God who inflicted them upon me. But what God did was he worked out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I chose to put myself in a place where I couldn't leave so that someone could come to me and hand me 40 smile faces and say, we're all so glad you're here. And some, for some reason, that had a profound impact on my life, got me to come back to church a second time, and then story after story after story after story. I cannot tell you, okay, I can't go in my mind anywhere and say to myself, yeah, but those were all just coincidences, They were just all luck. It was all luck. I know that there's a God. And like I said, I may not have all the answers for everything that happens in this life, but I am confident that my God has never and will never leave me or forsake me. And because of that, because of that, I can have, I can, I can have hope in this life and in the future, in the next life. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. God, thank you for being a God who desires to reason with us, who desires to know us, and who leads us in ways, Lord, if we'll just open our eyes and not even take a blind leap of faith, but just have enough faith to take a baby step toward you. You'll keep leading us. You'll keep guiding us. God, I pray for every single person here. I know there's some people who are more skeptical here. That's okay. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. That, Lord God, that they ask you to make yourself known, that you would make yourself known in profound ways like you did in my life. And, God, I pray that you would use me And use the other staff and pastors and elders. If there are people here who have questions, God, I pray that we would take the time to answer these significant and difficult questions and not shrink back. These questions are important. We don't want to argue and fight with each other. We just want to talk to each other and have dialogue. And I pray that would happen, Lord. If people have questions, I pray that we would dialogue with one another And through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the truth of who you are, that they would be able to take that step of faith 
using their reason, their intellect, Lord God, and their faith all together to come to know you for who you are. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time we can spend together. Pray that we would draw closer together as a family and pray, dear God, that we would, we would interact with one another in such a way that we would sharpen each other to become more, more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.